0: The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. You guys can hear me all right? So a number of years ago, uh, when I was serving as the dean of students, at one point we did something like that where underneath the seats we had, we had stuck, I think it was like a coupon or something like that, and uh, we had all the students reach underneath the seat and, and, and see who had it and like... 200 students started waving around a piece of paper in their hands, and I realized that everyone had pulled off the tags from the bottom of the seats. So I don't know if you guys found, yes, a couple of you did that. Okay, so you are the, the few seats who actually uh, still had tags on them. I think at this point, there's another one, I think at this point we have removed most of the tags, so that is no longer a source of confusion, which, um, which that's good. Uh, it's, it's been a little while since I've been up here. It's really good to see you guys. Uh, if this is your sophomore or junior or senior year, you are a little more used to seeing me up here in my previous role as the Dean of Students, but if this is your first year here, this is maybe the first time you're actually seeing me up here. Just a, a reminder of who I am. Uh, my name is Adam Porcella and uh, I'm the Provost here, yes. So, uh, and if you, if you don't know what that is, I often explain it to incoming students and immediately regret explaining it this way. Uh, I explain it as kind of like the the principal of a college, um, which is sort of true, but please don't hold that against me, okay? So it's, uh, I get to do all the fun parts of being a college principal and all the the conduct stuff I now just leave to to Dean Swift, so. (laughs) Uh, but it is good to be up here, uh, and uh, it's it's. We're, I'm a little far away from you right now. We have this massive stage. Um, how many of you saw South Pacific? Yes. Yeah. That that was a lot of fun, right? That was a lot of fun. That was really enjoyable. I took I took my girls, and I'll mention them in a minute when I actually get around to talking to you guys about what I want to talk to you about. Uh, I will uh, I'll mention my girls, but I brought my two girls. My older one, Karis, she thought the play was fantastic. My younger one, who's seven, uh, she thought there was too much kissing. And uh, if you could do her favor in less time, a little bit less romance, that would be if you were in that play. So it was, it was too romantic. Yeah, yeah, right here. Yes, yes. I'm like, like, yeah. But... Yeah. So what I wanted to talk to you guys about today uh, is uh, web registration. (laughs) It's not really. I just, Dr. Schlanker wanted me to remind you guys about web registration. You guys remember that it's web registration week? Yes. Okay. This is shameless provost plug, web registration week. Uh, If you're a senior, you should have done that. Uh, if you are a senior and you forgot about that, please do not take out your cell phones and attempt to do that during chapel. Uh, it's okay. It can wait another half hour, 45 minutes, two hours, however long this takes. Um, but for the rest of you, again, it's, it's, it's going to be juniors, seniors, no, juniors, sophomores, freshmen. You guys got this? You've done this before? You know what you're doing? Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Uh, let's talk about what I actually wanted to talk to you about. Uh, let's start with, uh, with reading, passage of scripture, and then I'm going to say a very brief prayer and then jump into things. So uh, this is, uh, imagine a familiar passage to, to all of you from Genesis. Uh, this is Genesis 3, 14 through 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I pray a a blessing upon this time together. Lord, I pray that insofar as I speak truth, Lord, that that would be formative, and inspiring and encouraging to students. Lord, I pray that if and when I speak or say anything that might lead uh, these students to misunderstand your word or towards uh, incorrect action or thought, Lord, I pray that it would go in one ear and out the other, Lord. uh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that uh, we would all leave this place, though, with a better sense of who we are in relationship to you, in relationship to this world. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So today, I want to talk about fairy tales. I'll talk about fairy tales with you guys. Specifically, I want to talk about how fairy tales so often echo deep truths about the gospel. I do have one plea Please don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? You should in no way leave this room with the impression that the provost thinks that the gospel is a fairy tale, okay? You guys got it? Yes? You agree? Okay, good. Um, in fact, I hope that you will leave here further convinced of the truth of the gospel and that further convinced of the truth of the good news of God's redemptive love for his people, I just mentioned this. I am a, a father of, of daughters and I think we have a picture up here of them. There they are, sweet girls, yes. Um, so these are my two girls, Karis and Alethea. This is what they look like now. This picture is, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, a couple of days old there. But um, here's what they, they used to look like, yes. So like many girls, my seven and nine-year-old went through a significant Disney princess stage. So there is a significant Disney princess stage of their life. And as a family, what this meant is that we spent a lot of time, a lot of time watching classic Disney movies, like Snow White and Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and Aladdin and Little Mermaid. Though my girls have moved on from uh, this Disney princess phase, I still remember those films with some fondness. My favorite to watch with my girls was Sleeping Beauty, a film I always appreciated for, amongst other things, its vivid portrayal of goodness and evil. You all remember the story of the princess who pricks her finger on a cursed spinning wheel. It is taken captive by the evil sorceress Maleficent, right? You guys remember this? You've all seen this? Yes, raise your hand if you've seen this. Yeah, okay, most of you. Okay. In this 1959 classic The Brave Prince Philip Storms the Castle Where Sleeping Beauty Is Kept Captive. Prince Philip manages to get past the castle guards and confronts Maleficent. However, Maleficent transforms herself into a terrible dragon to stop him from reaching Sleeping Beauty. So here is maleficent as a dragon. The dragon is enormous and powerful with sharp claws, wings, and fiery breath. The ensuing fight with the dragon is intense and the dragon, with the dragon breathing fire and trying to crush Philip with its massive tail. However, Philip is determined to save Aurora, if you remember, and fights back. The battle takes them across the castle, With Philip leaping and dodging to avoid the dragon's attack, he manages to wound the dragon with his sword, but it continues to attack. Finally, Philip lands a critical blow that sends the dragon tumbling off the castle's balcony and falling to its demise. With the dragon defeated, Prince Philip is able to awaken Aurora with a kiss and break Maleficent's curse. Of course, they live happily ever after. Today, I want to suggest two premises for you. The first is this, that the stories we tell are echoes of the great story that God is telling in the world. And the second is this, that the entire message of the Bible can be summarized as the story of a knight who storms a castle slays a dragon, and rescues a princess locked in a tower. You guys get that? The entire message of the Bible can be summarized as a story of a knight who storms a castle, slays a dragon, and rescues a princess locked in a tower. I love fairy tales and the fantasy genre. I'm a particularly big fan of Tolkien's mythology. You guys have read some Tolkien, I assume some of you, yes? I likewise have a deep appreciation for the fantastical stories written by C.S. Lewis and George MacDonald. We all, I think, have a fascination with stories that involve heroes, battles, and rescues. We see this in the stories we read and the movies we watch if you're not inclined to do much reading. The works of C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, and George MacDonald are no exception, of course. They all feature heroes who face insurmountable challenges and dangers. In his work, The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis masterfully weaves a story of redemption through, you guys know the story, through the character of Aslan, right? The great lion who represents Christ. Aslan gives his life for the traitor, Edmund, just as Christ gave his life for us. Similarly, in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, Frodo, a small hobbit, is chosen to bear the burden of a powerful ring and save Middle-earth from darkness. Through his journey, Frodo learns the true nature of sacrifice and selflessness. Finally, and this is maybe one that you guys are a little less familiar with, in George MacDonald's The Princess and the Goblin, which if you have not read it, let me recommend it to you. In this story, the hero Curdy faces a great evil. And in this one, it is Curdy who is ultimately saved by the princess. This story reflects the truth that we are all in need of a savior to rescue us from evil. But where does this innate fascination with these types of stories come from? I'd like to suggest that it is rooted in the very nature of God's salvific plan. In Genesis 3.15, God promises that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. This, you guys know, is a foreshadowing of Christ, who defeats Satan and brings about our salvation. Genesis 3.15 is known as the Proto-Evangelium. This is a compound of two Greek words. Protos, meaning first, and Evangelion, meaning good news or gospel. Thus, the verse is commonly referred to as the first mention of the gospel in the Bible. In this Proto-Evangelium, we see all the ingredients of the classic fairy tale, right? Satan as the dragon, described in this very passage As a serpent, the world as the castle, the offspring of the woman, Jesus, as the knight in shining armor destined to slay the dragon and rescue the princess, the people as the princess. We are the princess. Now, you might not consider yourself a princess. Certainly not a pretty princess. But the Bible describes the church as the bride of Christ, particularly loved by him, saved by his sacrificial work on the cross, exclusively devoted to him and increasingly adorned in beauty for him, the bridegroom. The knight is virtuous and valiant. The princess is helpless and trapped. The dragon stands between the knight. And his princess bride. Of course, we know how the story of the Bible unfolds, do we not? We see that at the height of the narrative, the dragon seems to gain the upper hand. All seems to be lost. We see Jesus nailed to a cross. Then we see the dragon defeated, the knight victorious, and the captive princess liberated. We know the ending of the story. The dragon is defeated by the valiant knight. Hebrews 2, 14, 15 tells us that through his death, Christ destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and freed us from the fear of death. Why then, you might be wondering, because I have wondered this myself, why then are so many still held hostage in the tower? One way to understand this is that the knight accomplished and secured the salvation of his princess bride, his people, the church, and that those who remain captive in the tower were not a part of the rescue plan to begin with. To argue otherwise might suggest that the knight failed in his rescue mission. This perspective is often referred to as limited atonement or particular redemption. It is also important to recognize that there is a sense in which those still captive in the tower remained imprisoned by their own choosing. Give me a chance to explain that one, okay? To help understand this phenomenon, it might be helpful for us to recall another Disney movie featuring a princess locked in a tower. Yeah, fan favorite. In the 2010 movie Tangled, the princess Rapunzel is kept imprisoned in a tower by her supposed mother Gothel, right? Uh, Rapunzel finally leaves the tower with the help of Flynn Rider, a thief she met earlier. That's not his real name though, right? What's his real name? Eugene, yes. Eugene. Okay. All right. Mental note for that one. Yep. She experiences, of course, a range of emotions. You guys remember this as she steps out into the world for the first time in her life. Initially, Rapunzel is overwhelmed and frightened by the unfamiliar sights and sounds of the world outside her tower. She feels guilty for disobeying her mother's rules and worries about what Gothel will do when she discovers that Rapunzel has left the tower. You guys remember the scene? (laughs) Right? I can't believe I did this, she exclaims. Mother would be so furious. Well, that's okay. I mean, what what she doesn't know won't kill her, right? This would kill her. I am a horrible daughter. I'm going back. I'm a despicable human being. Rapunzel's feelings of guilt and worry about what Gothel will do when she discovers that Rapunzel has left the tower can be seen as an indication of her attachment to Gothel. Rapunzel has spent her entire life with Gothel and has been conditioned to believe that Gothel's rules are necessary for her safety and well-being. Leaving the tower means going against everything that she has been taught to believe, causing her significant emotional turmoil. Stockholm Syndrome is a psychological phenomenon in which hostages or abuse victims form a strong emotional attachment to their captors or abusers. The term was coined... After a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden in 1973, where hostages developed positive feelings towards their captors and defended them after being released. You guys have heard this term before? Psych majors? Yeah, help me out here. Okay, there are a few of you out there. The syndrome can develop in any situation where a person is held captive or in a situation of abuse where the captor or abuser alternates between kindness and violence or intimidation. Over time the victim may come to see their captor or abuser as a protector or even as a friend, leading to feelings of empathy and a desire to defend their captor or abuser. Rapunzel's emotional turmoil can be interpreted as a symptom of this syndrome. She spent her entire life in the tower with her captor, Mother uh, Mother Gothel, and developed a sense of attachment towards her. This attachment left her feeling conflicted and guilty about leaving the tower and abandoning her captor. Sorry if I just ruined the story a little bit there for you. Rapunzel was manipulated, though, right, by Mother Gothel into believing that the outside world was dangerous, and that she needed to stay in the tower to be safe. This manipulation caused her to feel anxious and fearful about leaving the tower, even though she knew that it was the right thing to do. Overall, Rapunzel's emotional turmoil when leaving the tower can really be seen, can be understood as a form of Stockholm Syndrome, where her attachment to her captor and the manipulation she experienced caused her to feel conflicted and anxious about leaving the only life she had ever known. Those who remain in a spiritual tower likewise experience this sort of Stockholm Syndrome. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis contends that... and. Listen to this carefully, and I've got it up there for you to read, so you really kind of get the impact of what C.S. Lewis is saying here. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All there are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and consistently desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. For those who knock, it is opened. Understanding this changes our perspective a bit on evangelism, does it not? It is important for us to remember, I think we make this mistake a lot. We are not the knight in this story. We are the princess, saved by the night and sent back to those who are held captive by their own self-deception and self-choice. We are sent by the knight with a simple message that the dragon has been defeated and that we are free. However, we must remember that those who remain in the tower have been conditioned by the dragon to believe that its rules are necessary for their safety and well-being. Leaving the tower means going against everything that imprisoned have been misled to believe, causing them significant emotional turmoil. They remain in the tower because of their own self-choice. It's also important to remember that even those of us who have been rescued from the tower, like Rapunzel, are tempted to return to the tower. We have been rescued, but our time in the tower did some damage on our hearts which are often torn between our desire for our previous life in the tower and happily ever after with our savior knight. There is plenty of truth to mine in these fairy tales uh, as both Sleeping Beauty and Rapunzel stories echo the great story. C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. R. Tolkien, and George MacDonald all recognized the power of stories to capture the imagination and convey profound truths. C.S. Lewis famously wrote that the value of the myth is that it takes all the things we know and restores to them the rich significance which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity. Tolkien, too, believed that stories could reveal deep truths about the world and about ourselves. And his own epic tale of Middle Earth is suffused with themes of sacrifice, redemption, and hope. In his essays, another one that I strongly encourage you guys to pick up and and read, uh, on fairy stories, J.R. Tolkien argues that fantasy literature is not just meant to be escapist and it's not just for children. But rather, it serves to provide a glimpse of a larger reality that exists beyond our mundane world. But it was actually George MacDonald who perhaps best understood the connection between our love of stories and the nature of God's redemptive plan. And again, if you are unfamiliar with George MacDonald, he was one of the biggest influences on both Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. MacDonald argues that the human imagination is a reflection of, of God's own creativity, and the stories we tell are echoes of the great story that God is telling in the world. In his essay, The Imagination, Its Function, and Its Culture, McDonald observes that everything of man must have been of God first. And it will help much toward our understanding of the imagination and its function in man if we first succeed in regarding aright the imagination of God in which the imagination of man lives and moves and has its being. MacDonald goes on to write in his essay, The Fantastic Imagination, that a a fairy tale cannot help having some meaning. If it have proportion and harmony, it has vitality, and vitality is truth. The beauty may be plainer, in it than the truth but without the truth the beauty could not be and the fairy tale would give no delight what mcdonald is saying here is that stories especially those that are richly imagined and realized can reveal deep truths about the world about ourselves and about our creator and the reason they do this is because they are echoes of the great story that god is telling in the world In other words, our fascination with stories, with fantasies, and with fairy tales is evidence of God's redemptive plan unfolding in the world. More so, the fairy stories we create, insofar as they echo gospel truth, testify to our very nature as image bearers of God. We create because we share this attribute with our creator. As J.R.R. Tolkien observes, fantasy remains a human right. We make in our measure and in our derivative mode because we are made. And not only made, but made in the image and likeness of a maker. Throughout history, God has been working to redeem his people and restore all things to their original state of wholeness, and harmony. And as we tell stories of heroes and villains of battles between good and evil and redemption and restoration, we are echoing that great story. We are reminding ourselves and others of the profound truth that God is at work in the world, redeeming all things and making them new. The entire message of the Bible can be summarized as a night who storms a castle, slays a dragon, and rescues a princess locked in a tower. The knight is Christ, the dragon is Satan, the castle of the world, and the princess is us, the church. This is a historical, redemptive narrative that we see throughout scripture and echoed in so many fairy tales. Fairy tales contain memories of truth about God, about the origin and destiny of our world, about the battle between supernatural evil that has characterized every age, and about the hope of redemption through God's intervention in human history. As a seminary professor of mine, Jerem Barrs, used to remind us myths hold within them the treasure of echoes of Eden. Myths and fairy, st- fairy stories are vessels containing truths. Remember the power of stories to capture our imagination and convey deep truths. And remember that our fascination with stories of fantasy and fairy tales is evidence of the very nature of God's salvific plan. Evidence even of our being made in God's image as creator. As we go from here, may we continue to tell stories that echo profound truths. And may we never forget that we are part of the greatest story of all time, the story of God's redemptive love for his people. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, we are a part of a great story. And in our small and limited way, uh, we echo your great story through the stories that we create. Lord, we also, by your grace and love for us are allowed to participate in small ways in that story. And for that, we are grateful. Lord, I pray that you would attune our minds to see where the stories that we engage with in culture, reading, art, music, and in film echo your deep truths, Lord. And when that happens, I pray that they would be formative in our lives, Lord. Lord, you are the great storyteller. Lord, and we thank you for that. Amen. Thanks, y'all.